Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. We got this note from Freeze Pops, and it's actually from the, the great website, St. Louis Blues History, that 15 years ago today, Jeremy Rutherford wrote his first story as the beat writer for the St. Louis Blues in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It was about the Blues reducing season ticket prices, and club seats went from $83 a game to $79 a game. Our Blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. JR, great to have you with us. Do you remember that story? Good to be here, and I do. Yeah, I actually do. I thought I was going to be covering hockey, and uh, all of a sudden I'm breaking down the math of the season ticket prices uh, with the first story. And I think that was uh, should have been my second story. There should have been a story uh, that I wrote before that one, uh, but what happened was one day after they gave me the Blues beat, they said, you're going to be the St. Louis Blues beat writer for the Post-Dispatch. I was extremely honored, excited, the team I grew up watching. And I was playing golf shortly thereafter, and I get a phone call, and the Post-Dispatch tells me, hey, listen, we just wanted to let you know that uh, the Blues are going to be put up for sale. Bernie Miklas has the scoop. He will have the story in the Post-Dispatch tomorrow. And I said, I'm not going to have this job for long. <laughs> <laughs> if I keep dropping the ball like that and, and Bernie's get all the scoops. So uh, luckily it worked out, but uh, yeah, it only seems like 15 years ago. <laughs> Jared, do you remember what your first big scoop was? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I do remember the night that uh, Chris Pronger got traded. That was shortly after getting on the beat also. And uh, it wasn't necessarily a scoop because I think the Blues put it out. But I do remember that uh, Derek Gould had done such a great job of, of covering the Blues for so long and, and uh, had a relationship with all the players that the deadline was about 1030 at night. And I was writing the news that they traded him to Edmonton and here's who they're getting back. And uh, Derek called Chris Pronger and had a conversation with him. And then he's emailing me the quotes and I'm trying to weave them into the story uh, right on deadline. So uh, that's one night I'll never forget. That's amazing. And that that was what a uh, crushing story that had to be as a Blues fan for you and how devastating it was for Blues fans because that was when we knew that Bill Laurie was disassembling the team. We we knew that it was for sale, but we didn't know that he was going to tear it down to its studs. Yeah, and the absolute worst was, you know, here they think they're doing a good thing uh, with the, uh, the, pay- the company that was selling the team uh, to trade Chris Pronger and clear that big number off the books, and I'll never forget that when Dave Checkett got in the picture, and at the time we didn't know he was a buffoon, uh, that uh, he he and John Davidson came out and said, we would have wanted Chris Pronger. We would have paid the number. We wish that he were here. And in fact, they tried to go get him uh, a couple years later and make a trade to bring him back to St. Louis. So uh, just so odd that uh, the previous ownership wanted to clear the books. And in fact, the incoming ownership would have welcomed Chris Pronger. And uh, let's go sunshine lollipops here, Jr. <laughs> Okay, Pronger for Brewer, Brewer to Tampa for a third-round choice that we used for? Jordan Bennington. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that worked out okay? Worked out okay, and shoot, that goes all the way back, what, to uh, the Brendan Shanahan? Yeah, yeah, Scott Stevens, yeah. Yeah, so uh, just remarkable how that worked out. For years and years and years, that did not look like a, a good transaction, but it paid off uh, eventually. Was, just to uh, lay it out for people, the Blue Sign Scott Stevens is a free agent. They give up five number ones for him. 
he is awarded to New Jersey when the Blues signed Brendan Shanahan as a free agent. Then Shanahan for Pronger, Pronger for, among others, Eric Brewer, Brewer for the number three, and then the number three on Bennington. So there you go. See, so you Worked see, out okay. Yeah, sometimes you just need to put the <laughs> wheels in motion, right? Uh, speaking of Jordan Bennington, JR, at what point last season did you think, okay, Jordan Bennington is going to be the lockdown goalie for the St. Louis Blues? After he made his debut, at what point did you think, okay, wow, this, he could really be the guy this season? It was probably when he picked up his fourth or fifth shutout in about 18 games. You know, we, we, we've just seen so many young goaltenders get their chance in the league and come out on fire. And, uh, you know, could it be just the adrenaline's flowing? Could it be that uh, other teams just don't have a book on a young guy yet? You know, they, they don't know uh, what to study. Uh, but I think the saves that he was making and the confidence that he was giving this team, and what you saw was uh, this Blues team that had so much talent and was considered a cup contender uh, going into the season, they just started to do what they were responsible for doing instead of getting back and trying to stop every puck. So, so you're not you're not talking about seeing the forwards and the defensemen cheat and join the rush and and take chances, but they're able to just get in the flow uh, offensively, and that was because of the saves that he was making uh, back there. So, you know, I think once you got to that point, you're thinking, okay, well, this is more than just a, a hot start, and, and this guy has a legit, legitimate chance uh, to keep this going. JR, one year ago today, the Blues got on a plane for Boston to play Game 7 on the 12th. When you got on the plane that you got on, how were you feeling about the Blues' chances for Game 7? Well, first of all, I was telling my daughter, I'm sorry I'm going to miss your birthday, but I'm going to Game 7 for the Stanley Cup. But uh, I think, uh, you know, you thought that they had a a really good shot because they had played so well on the road. And, hey, I'm going to give you a sneak peek preview to my article uh, tomorrow. I'm going to give you one quick story. Uh, I called as many Blues from that Stanley Cup roster as possible the past couple weeks and, and asked them to give me one untold story from Game 7, the day of Game 7, uh, and, and I'm going to have that tomorrow at The Athletic, and awesome. I'll, give you one sto- I'll give you one story. Jake Allen told me a couple days ago, he goes, night before Game 7, we're in Boston. You think we're going to get a healthy dinner and go to bed early about 8.30, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, they have a team suite at the top of the hotel where we all went. And I want to say that when I looked at the clock, I looked around the team suite, and we were all drinking wine, drinking beers, eating ice cream, and it was 10.30 at night, the night before Game 7. He goes, I finally went to bed at 11 o'clock. I looked up at the ceiling, and I said, this team is going to win Game 7. We are so relaxed and so confident. And that's one story I had never heard of, and so there's a lot more where that came from in tomorrow's story with the untold stories. Yeah, that's an incredible story because I think collectively most people here in St. Louis couldn't sleep the night before. We couldn't eat. We were so <laughs> nauseous. We were so nervous. And to think that those guys hopped on the plane and then they're drinking wine and, and ice cream and kicking it until 11 p.m. does show you how relaxed they were and how confident they were in themselves. But, I mean, they proved it when they when they took the ice in Game 7. They were ready to go. So I guess if anybody out there has a presentation or something big going on, drink some wine and have some ice cream the night before. Kind of a weird combination. No, it's yeah. two amazing things. It's kind Kind of like, you know, you wouldn't think affogato, espresso, and ice cream would go together. Wine and ice cream, great mix. Okay. So, sounds like somebody that's doing, uh, speaking from experience here. Yeah, a few times. <laughs> I just think it's pretty remarkable that I was doing the exact same thing that the Blues were doing the, game, the night before Game 7. <laughs> that is amazing. Hey, uh, JR, we, we've talked a lot about the Blues getting started, and they, they are 
giving the players ownership of this team. And we had Army on earlier in the week, and he talked about how much he trusts this group of players. That's kind of a rare commodity in any sport, isn't it? That the the management of the team gives the players as much ownership and leeway as the Blues players get. It is, and and that's one of uh, Army's great qualities. And that's not to say that uh, you know he's not in control behind the scenes of a lot of things. He has to be. That's that's his job. But he, and I think going back to Ken Hitchcock, I heard that a lot from Hitch over the years, is, is that you, you have to give that to the team. You have to allow them to police themselves because when they put they get put into uh, certain situations where they're facing uh, the adversity, you, you have to leave it up to them to find a way uh, to get out of it. So, uh, you know, in this situation, when you're talking about Phase 2 beginning this past Monday and uh, teams allowed to go to the practice facility and, and the Blues are one of several that have decided to put that off and wait a little bit, you know, that's a little bit Army talking to uh, Alex Petrangelo, the captain, and I talked to Alex about that yesterday, uh, where he said, hey, look, training camp even if it starts on time is july 10th that's three weeks away we've played a lot of hockey in the last couple of years and this break is good for us so they talked it out and army was uh, willing to let them uh, push that date back when they're going to show up at uh, centene so you know that's one of the many examples i think we've seen where uh, they've given this team these players these leaders uh, a lot of leeway Hearing you say that, Jr. gives me a little bit of relief because I'm seeing all these tweets about different teams and confirmed players that have showed up to the arena to participate in the skate for Phase 2. And while I respect the Blues' decision to take their time and to give the responsibility to players, part of me as a fan was thinking, man, the, the sooner these guys get back on the ice and they're skating and the sooner they're skating together and start to get that chemistry put back in place, the better position they're putting in their sel- themselves in for when hockey does resume. Yeah, a couple things. One thing, uh, there's just so much protocol involved in, in reporting to the, the team rank that I think they're probably getting more done and what they want to get done wherever they are, whether it be back in Toronto. And, and I know a few guys here in St. Louis uh, are skating, uh, but there's just so many restrictions on, on what they can do. And the other thing is, Michelle, you know, I don't think that this team necessarily needs to be together to, to get that chemistry going. Now, granted, it has been, you know, three-plus months, but I think that's the one advantage that this team has that we've talked about for a while now is that uh, they're just so professional, experienced, they've dealt with so much adversity. You know, I think when I talked to uh, Alex Petrangelo yesterday, he said, look, we need probably a week to get over the, the weirdness of it. it's been so long, and then you probably need another week and a half, two weeks uh, to get up to speed. So we don't need to be on the ice, you know, for a month-plus uh, before training camp starts. So I think that's where they're coming from. They feel like when they see each other, uh, they're going to be able to act like it's uh, March 12th, the day after they were together last. And JR, one of the things, uh, when is your daughter's birthday? Uh, tomorrow. Uh, Michelle and I would be glad to sing happy birthday to her. What's her name? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia, here we go. Ready? Oh, wait, one. Randy, I cannot say. Yes, I cannot do that to one, the people. One, two, no. three. Uh-huh. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Georgia. Happy birthday to you. Oh, that's absolutely terrific. And uh, I Tell think I've I told you this before. I think I've told you this before, but I'll just say real quickly, when I got on that plane and left for Boston, she said, Daddy, can you bring me the phone cup back? Oh. oh, perfect. And you did. <laughs> Way to go, JR. Did anything there, but. <laughs> uh, you're, you're a great dad. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. See you.